Today we come to the end of this series that I've called Keys to Healthy Relationships, and we've been thinking about some virtues that we find in the book of Ephesians that really can help us grow in all kinds of relationships, whether they're family or church or friends or co-workers, but help us develop relationships that really are beyond what maybe we have today. So we paid attention to what Paul's been saying here in what we seem to, it feels like is a handbook for Christian living from the first century that tells us first of all what we need to believe and then the second half of the book how we live that out what it looks like in daily life so as we've looked through this book we've identified these virtues and noticed that even though this book is 2,000 years old and Paul was writing in a very different culture from ours to people who lived in a different way than we do and spoke different languages, it's amazing that God's Word still speaks to us today in a timely way because it's God's Word and He designed it for people of all time to develop what they, what they need for Christian living. So we've seen that, and, and maybe one of the virtues that you've wondered, like, why didn't we start with, or when is he going to talk about, is the one that we're going to get to in this final lesson, and it's the virtue of love. Now, it really is in some ways the culmination of this whole series because there's no way to have healthy relationships if we don't have love. But here's the problem with talking about love, especially in like one sermon. We mean so many things when we say the word love. Now, we've all experienced it in different ways, and certainly different relationships in our lives require different kinds of love. We love our, uh, our spouses, our boyfriends, girlfriends in a very different way than we might love our children or our parents. And even that, though it's still in the family, is different from the love that we might experience with our siblings or extended family, again, different from church and coworkers. We experience love in lots of different arenas, different relationships. And because of that, we have different kinds of love that are present. So like in the Greek language, there are several different words that are used to describe what we in English use one word for, and that's love. We have what's brotherly love, where we get our word Philadelphia from. That's for siblings, for friends, maybe even for people in church, people that we hang out with. And that's different from the Greek word that talks about romantic love, eros, where we get our word erotic from. That is not the same kind of love we experience with friends. That's reserved for special relationships in our lives. And then there's that word that we sometimes talk more about in church, the word agape. And this is self-giving, self-sacrificing love. It's the kind of love that we see most clearly when we think about Jesus intentionally going to the cross for us, knowing that when he went to the cross, he was going to provide for us forgiveness of sin and eternal life. That's agape love that we then express to the people around us. So we've got all those different kinds of love. And then we've got the fact that we all experience love differently because of our relationships. My relationships are not the same as yours. And all of that feeds into my understanding of what love is. My makeup is different from yours. We're all unique. And so we understand love in different ways. So when we say love is a key to healthy relationships, what do we actually mean by that? 
Well, he really means several different things, but I want to explore one of those avenues today that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, as I said last week, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, we're in what's called a household code. Very common in the ancient world for a writer like Paul to say, okay, with all the stuff I've said already, this is how you should treat the people you live with the most important relationships in your lives. And so last week we talked about the opening and we talked about what Paul had to say to wives. And I said then that really the lesson last week and the lesson this week go together. We can't take them apart because they really feed on each other. And if we remove one part of that from the other, it really all falls apart. So this is the second part of what we began last week. Now, it would do us good to read through the whole household code because there's even more than what we're going to get to today. And we need to hear everything that Paul has to say to our household. So read Ephesians 4 through 6 and get the full picture of that. Now, last week I noted that Paul begins the household code in Ephesians 5 verse 21 when he's speaking to everyone in the household and he says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So everything he says to wives, everything he says to husbands, to parents, to kids, is said in this context of mutual submission. So Paul is saying there are times in our lives, in our family life, when we choose to submit to the leadership of another person. Sometimes it's the dad, the husband. Sometimes it's the mom. Sometimes it might even be the kids, okay? Because we all have different gifts and there might even be times when we're trying to teach someone to lead in the family. So we would pur purposely put ourselves under the direction of someone else in the family. That's the context for everything that Paul says that follows. Like last week, wives submit to your husbands. And we examine that carefully. And again, if you didn't hear that message, go back and listen to it because it really sets up what we're going to talk about this week, where Paul begins to address husbands. What does he say to husbands? That's what I want us to jump into now. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, as he introduces this thought. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, as Paul introduces that, there's a couple of really interesting things that I note just in this verse. First of all, in lots, we have lots of examples of household codes in the ancient world. Like some Greek philosophers, they would write all this philosophy that we can hardly understand, and then they talk about families. Sometimes politicians would do this, okay? So lots of people would do it, Jewish uh, religious teachers, Christian teachers would do it. But what we note is that a call for husbands to love wives, almost never seen. Okay? We just sort of expect that, maybe because we've read this before, or we just think that, you know, like love should be part of a marriage. But oftentimes in the ancient world, that was not part of the, the instruction. So what's different? It seems that because of Paul's relationship with Jesus, this changed how he understood family. Now, remember, we have no record of Paul being married, and at times he talks about being single, but his understanding of marriage was influenced and informed by the fact that Jesus had loved the church. And so Paul says, Husbands, model your love for your wife on what Jesus has done for the church. So what has Jesus done for the church? Well, he literally 
died, right? <clears throat> he gave himself up. He gave up his life for the church. But that's not all. He had spent the three years before spending virtually every waking hour preaching, teaching, demonstrating what it means to be a follower. So Jesus gave his time, his energy, his resources, and then his life for the church. And Paul says, husbands, model your relationship with your wife on what Jesus has done. It's a pretty amazing thing for him to say, listen, to give like Jesus, that's what's expected of you as a husband. Here's another thing that's worth noting. We talked about Greek having all these words for love, and we didn't even cover all of them, okay? And we in English have just one. Now, we might expect, if we come to a discussion of how husbands love their wives, for this to be like the romantic kind of love, right? The love that's between a husband and wife. What's interesting is that's not the word that Paul uses. The word that Paul uses here is agape. The word that Paul uses is the self-giving, self-sacrificing love that Jesus showed on the cross. So is Paul saying romantic love is not important in marriage? No, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think that's part of marriage, a great part of marriage. We should be pursuing each other. We should love one another in that way. But if you want a marriage to last decades for the rest of your life, the kind of love you're going to need to make that happen is more than romantic love. It's agape love. It's the kind of love that says, I'm going to give myself all my resources for you. And if need be, I'd even be willing to give my life. Paul goes on in the next few verses to talk about this relationship between Christ and the church. If you read through this, what's sort of almost humorous to me is Paul gets so lost in his analogy of husbands and wives and Jesus and the church that he has to remind himself he's talking about marriage, okay? So he gets so lost in that. So we want to come back where he picks that up, verse 28. Paul says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives, this is agape again, as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. So Paul says, love your wife as you love yourself, literally as you love your own body. Now, Here's the thing, most of us, after this service, it's not going to be long till we're looking for some food, right? We're going to be ready for some lunch. And most of us are not going to have to remind ourselves to go find lunch, because we're going to know it's time. Our bodies are going to tell us that, and we'll respond. Most of us don't have to tell ourselves to go get something to drink when we're thirsty, to go to bed when we're tired. We automatically take care of our bodies. It's just part of being a human being. And Paul is saying, listen, husbands, as natural as it is for you to feed your own body, as natural as it is for you to go to sleep when you're tired, that's the way you should treat your wife. As if, as if she has your own body, as if she's, she's carrying you with her. You want to care for her in the same way you care for yourself. That's agape love. That's taking care of another person as if that person is yourself. And Paul says this reminds us about what it means to be a member of the church. 
that we are attached to one another. And in the same way, we are attached to our spouses. We love in that same self-giving, self-sacrificing way that Jesus loved. And then Paul sums up this whole section from 21 down to 32 in verse 33. And if you want to memorize one piece of this and carry it forward, this would be a great one. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, there's been some you know, studies done about marriage and, and the relationship between a man and a woman. And they say that one of the things that a man needs in a marriage is to know that he's respected, okay? That his wife has some respect for him. And one of the things that women really need is to know that they are loved. This kind of love that Paul's just described. And there's been books written about this. Now, that's not exclusive, right? I mean, I think most men want to know that their spouse truly loves them. And many women want to know that their husband respects them. So it's not one or the other, but Paul is really showing what's needed maybe the most in this relationship. That we, we need each other, okay? But these are specific things that we need from each other. Now, we're in this series, it's called Keys to Healthy Relationships, Not Keys to a Healthy Marriage. It speaks to that, but we're taking what Paul says and then we're thinking about what are the implications for all of our relationships. So, as Paul says, husbands, love your wives, agape your wives, as Christ loved the church, gave himself for the church. What does that say for the rest of our relationships? Well, I think the message is really clear. Love is the foundation. Okay, but it's not just any love. It's not just syrupy, sweet love. It's not just feeling good about someone. It is this specific kind of self-giving, self-sacrificing love that Paul calls husbands to. But that's certainly not the only place in Scripture that this word is used. Over and over, we see New Testament writers saying that we should love other people in the way that God has loved us. It's the same word. It's the same concept of giving ourselves to the people around us. So how does this apply to marriage? Well, I think it's pretty clear. You know, I had a minister friend who said that he and his wife have a really good relationship. They're blessed in that. But someone in his church said, man, I really admire how you two relate to one another. I want my marriage to be like that. So what's the secret to your marriage? And he was like, there's like, there's no shortcut here, okay? There's no magical way to get from some place in marriage to where we are, okay? What happens is you make a lot of decisions over time. And those decisions are to do what my spouse wants to do, to lift up my spouse, okay? To defer to them over and over in really small things and big things. And over time, what that says is you are a value to me. You matter to me. I may not love what we're going to do, but you love it, so I'm going to enjoy it, right? That's what we're talking about. And the truth is, there are no shortcuts in this. In the important relationships in our lives, there is no shortcut to agape love. It's just making the right decision over and over and over again. Now, here's one of the struggles. We're saying that this kind of self-giving love is the foundation for healthy relationships. But we can't give to everyone like we give to our spouses, to our kids, to our parents, even to people in church, right? So how do we work this out? 
We can't love the several billion people on the face of the earth all the same. That doesn't work. So we have to think about what are my resources, right? What I have available to me, and certainly because of the arc of a marriage relationship that spans over a lifetime, and because of the arc of some other relationships in our lives, we're going to naturally need to invest more in there. We have responsibilities in certain relationships that we don't in others, right? We have a responsibility to care for our kids, maybe to care for our parents because they cared for us early in life. And so we invest in those relationships in ways that we don't in others. We use the resources that God has given us. But that doesn't excuse us, does it? Because we have things we can do for lots of people. And even as we think about church relationships, there's a lot of things we can do to show this kind of agape love, right? I mean, we have the amazing ability to pray for a lot of people. The ability to take the needs that we know to God. We have them listed in our bulletin. We have prayer emails that come out several times a week. We can get you signed up for those if you're not. And just to take a few minutes and pray over those needs and to pray over our families, to pray over our church, to pray over our co-workers, and to love them as God loved the church. And some of those people, frankly, you may not even like that well, but you can still give of yourself. And so we have to think through, what can I do? You know, And certainly if there's a need in the church, when we think about the kind of thing that Paul talks about here, If there's a need in the church and we find out we can meet it as the church, we should do it, right? Because that's within our resources. It's something that we can do together for someone in need. That's self-giving, self-sacrificing, agape kind of love. So the implications are there for family. They're there for marriages, but it spreads out into all of our lives. And it really is a matter of occasionally doing some big things, but more often than not, it's the smaller things. It's the phone call when it's needed. It's the willingness to listen to someone struggle to encourage the people around us. It's just showing that we are interested in what's going on in the lives of the people around us. Those small things say, you matter. Those small things say, I love you, not in a romantic way that we sometimes use that word, but in this self-giving way, this way that Christ loved the church. And so within our time and our energy and our resources, we choose to show the love of Christ and express it in maybe creative, maybe small, maybe large ways because of what Christ has done for us. So as we bring this whole series to a close, You know, love really is the capstone of all that. The the respect that we've talked about, the submission, the speaking, the truth. All those things that we've mentioned over the last few weeks that really do build up to healthy relationships, but we just can't do it without loving the people around us. They won't always deserve it. We won't always deserve it. The church didn't always deserve the love of Jesus, but he offered it anyway. And he gave them himself And then he gave up himself because he loved us. And that's what we're called to do, to give that same love to the people around us. It's the foundation for healthy relationships. Let's pray together.
God, we're thankful that we understand love because you chose to love us. You gave us life, and then you offered us eternal life in Jesus. And so, God, we lift you up, and we give thanks for that, but we also ask that you will empower us, show us, illustrate to us what it means to love the people around us, to follow your example of love, and to make it the foundation for healthy relationships. And God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.